It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, everyone. I'm Mari Forth. I'm Sarah Carradine, podcasting from unceded Gadigal land. And this is Crime Scene, the true crime review podcast where we get to the heart of how true crime stories are told. We'd love if you would subscribe to our feed. Please go to robhasawebsite.com slash crime feed. You'll get your true crime on Tuesdays as well as helping to keep this program going. If you've already subscribed, thank you. It makes a big difference. Now, we said we were going to bring you the crime of the century with Dr. Amanda Rabinowitz, but due to some scheduling issues, we'll be bringing you that episode later in the month. Murray, what did we watch this week? We've had a couple of uh, stinkers, to say the <laughs> least, uh, for the last few weeks. So we reached back into the archives for a classic from 2017. We watched White Boy on Netflix in the US and Tubi in Australia. It was directed by Sean Retch, whose wheelhouse is wrongful conviction cases. He has a documentary TV series currently in post-production called Russell Her, which follows women wrestlers in Ohio fighting for their titles and for recognition and respect for their sport. Uh, you know, I'm I'm down with that, uh, but uh, we, we will try and find a way to cover that if, if I have anything to say about it. Somehow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we have an incredible returning guest with us today. He's the host of Leaving the Theater, who will also turn up at your house and loudly critique what you are watching. He last joined us for the episode uh, 24, Leave No Trace, about the Boy Scouts of America. It's so wonderful to have Ronald Young Jr. Welcome back. Welcome Thank on. you so much. I yes. appreciate y'all bringing me back for an episode with at least a little bit more joy than the <laughs> one that we did before. That was a, a real downer. That yes. Voice count yes. yes. It's I mean, it, it was a good it was a good docuseries, but oh, Very we, good were docuseries. Wrecked. we were wrecked by the end mm-hmm. of it. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so glad to have you back for something very quick and something done very well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. We heard your true crime origin story last time you were here. So uh, what did you recently leave the theater after watching and how was it? 
Uh, the last, well, I have an upcoming episode, uh, Super Mario Brothers, and uh, I'm not sure when this episode airs, but by the time it does, it probably will be my most recent episode. Uh, uh-huh. But before that, John Wick Chapter 4, uh, uh-huh. which is, uh, I, I enjoyed it for the most part, but it was a little longer than I wanted it to be, but, <laughs> but uh-huh. lots of action, and if you like John Wick, you'll like that. Oh, and then, of course, one that really surprised me on Netflix, and I'm not sure where it would be in the US. I mean, in Australia, but I think it, I know in the U.S. it's Netflix is the night agent, which is this this oh. series that I just, you know, I turned it on because I was like, well, it's the number one show on Netflix. Let me see what everyone's talking about. And mm-hmm. Love is Blind won't have new episodes for another week. OK. And it was like surprisingly good. Just a lot of very good uh, espionage slash political thriller. Um, if you mm. like that genre, this does that well so i would recommend uh the night agent right now on netflix oh wonderful i'll look up uh, where it's available in australia i know i've seen it but i have like 25 streaming services so how, how i would know where it was <laughs> you and me both i know how that goes <laughs> yeah all text deductible yeah that yeah. sounds good because yep. <laughs> uh I, I think my husband was eyeing that uh the other day and, and that is right up his alley that that espionage sort of thing so i'll tell him that uh he, he got a good review and, and tell him to check it out i won't be watching he <laughs> you might like it. You'd be surprised. I, I like. There's only one drawback to that show that I found, and you'd be surprised. I remember watching it. Tw- by the time I got to the end, I'm at the edge of my seat. Like, all right, how are they gonna Ooh. wrap this up? This is crazy, but how are they gonna wrap this up? <laughs> okay, okay. I, I love a good recommendation. Yeah, <laughs> we got them early. I love it. And that that Mario Brothers. My son is so excited to see that. So yeah, if you enjoyed Mario growing up, uh, if you engage with Mario at all, it's definitely they they packed a lot of nostalgic Easter eggs in there for the adults. But the kids are going to go crazy for this one. I think it's going to be a runaway hit for uh for kids. But uh, it the plot is paper thin. So just be, <laughs> I mean it is oh, it is telling me shocked and surprised. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean it's thinner than usual. You know it's funny people say that, but I'm like Pixar has been doing complex plots mm, and, and DreamWorks too, to some extent has been doing complex plots for children for many years. Uh-huh. So when you see something like Super Mario Brothers, we know that it's possible for them to do a complex story, but not quite with this one. Not quite. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited. Well, uh, but let's get to the crime and to the documentary we are covering today. In the early 1980s, Richard Worshey Jr., known as White Boy Rick, was an American drug trafficker and drug dealer. Rick became the youngest known informant in the history of the FBI at the age of 14. Agents filed his reports under his father's informant number, and among the many pieces of information that Rick gave to the FBI was the intel that a major drug dealer had spoken of paying a bribe to the Detroit head of homicide and subsequent city council president and mayoral candidate Gil Hill to quash the investigation into the murder of a 13-year-old Damian Lucas. The FBI cut ties with Rick when agents revealed he was underage. He dealt cocaine for a year before being arrested for possession of eight kilograms of cocaine. He was sentenced to life imprisonment when he was 17. His sentence was in part a result of the 1978 650 Lifer Law. Anyone found with over 650 grams of heroin or or cocaine could be sentenced to life without parole. When the law was repealed, Rick was not resentenced. In 2017, justice campaigners publicized Rick's case and he was subsequently paroled. However, he went directly to prison in Florida to serve another five years for an auto theft conviction from 2008. Campaigners on Rick's behalf have suggested to reporters that the length of his incarceration may have been connected to him having provided the FBI with information leading to the arrest of family members and associates of the former Detroit mayor, Coleman Young, as well as the allegations about Young's political ally, Gil Hill. Okay, so for once, (laughs) this was a feature length documentary that we got to watch. It was very, very easily digestible. I think it was only like an hour and 22 minutes or so, something around there. Ron, 
can you give us your overall thoughts about this this property? Uh, you know, it's. I think this subject matter is compelling and I mm-hmm. think it's well executed on Netflix. I will say I found myself at the end of this documentary wondering if I missed the other side of this debate, if there's anyone out there that actually believes that white boy Rick deserved to be in prison for longer than Mm. 29 years, 30 years, whatever. I Mm -hmm. feel like they didn't capture much of the people who would oppose him uh, being in prison so much. So, and they did such a good job of saying that this is a man that does not, that was wrongfully put in prison for too long a time. And that's the thing. No, everyone was saying there's no reason why, why, why Rick shouldn't be in prison. There was no reason why no one was saying he shouldn't have gone but they were like 29 years is absolutely ridiculous yeah and they laid out exactly all the reasons why it was absolutely ridiculous so mm-hmm. i found myself wondering towards the end could they have gotten at least one voice and like at least um and i think uh her name was kim worthy kim yeah it would have been yeah. nice to have kim worthy or to have someone that was opposed to him getting out of prison to like say why I just needed you to say why on the record and I think the truth is for me the lack of that voice kind of strengthened the case that he had no business being in there uh, Mm -hmm. of that long so I, I think I left with the question of saying like do I feel that way because this documentary did an excellent job of making me feel that way or is it actually the case that this man was wrongfully accused I mean was wrongfully imprisoned for so long um, and really no one had any objections to that being that being the truth yeah Um, I agree I think I think it it did feel kind of one-sided but honestly if you objectively just look at the kind of the facts of the case honestly i i i agree with them he 29 years um one of the one of the reasons why like we picked this this property and one of the reasons why i think i thoroughly enjoyed it i am currently of course if for people who don't know i'm covering snowfall over on the post show recaps a podcast where we're dealing about the same like a fictionalized version of the same period in time just in Mm -hmm. la and it's based on real people. And for that show, I, I did a little bit of research on the real people that the characters are based on. And even then in that show, like uh, like Jamaica, uh, Queenpin, Jamaica uh, Thomas, I think is her last name. She only got 15 years for, for like the same thing. And she was a bigger Queenpin than, than White Boy Rick. So like for me coming into it. I, I had a little bit of background on other cases like this. And even I'm like 29 years is a lot, um, especially then when we look at the law, we examine the the lifer laws, the 650 lifer laws, you know, the three strikes, you know, now our hindsight of being in, you know, 2023, we know that those laws have been unrightly and unjustly um, applied here. It's kind of awkward because it's applied to a white boy. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, you know, but it, they're still unfair. We 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 have the passage of time to realize that these are unfair. And even in this documentary, they said that 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 law was repealed like nine years after it was instated. Anyway, so even back then, more than twenty years ago, they knew it was unfair. So that's why I wasn't too, you know, offended that there wasn't like you know uh, both sides. You know, it wasn't as objective a documentary because honestly. I, I 29 years for a nonviolent drug charge for a 17-year-old just doesn't seem fair. And and I and I did like how they put it all into perspective near the end and talked about other people's sentences and stuff like that, especially in comparison to what he was actually doing for the actual crime. I think we 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 can all say that we can establish that he did commit a crime. But he should not have been in there that long. Sarah, how about you? What did you think about the documentary, the subject matter as a whole? Well, the the subject matter was very interesting. It's quite complex. Mm -hmm. And I felt all the way along that I knew where I was, what time it was. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, you know, about 80 to 85 minutes and there's seven chapters and we get little chapter titles. Mm -hmm. I liked that. So each it's not bite size isn't the right idea, but really thoughtfully and economically told. We did get one very slight anti-white boy, which was a reporter called Joe Swiggard. Yeah. Uh, Joe wow. feels that white boy was a kingpin, as he was painted. 
uh, we find out from actual kingpins <laughs> who served seven years marvellously talking to the camera about their crimes because, you know, they've been convicted and they've served their time and this is fascinating. This is where it comes back to bite the establishment because once you convict someone, put them in jail and then they're out of jail, they can talk about it. We have the most wonderful narrator and I think it was a little bit of trickery, but trickery that I really enjoyed. Nathaniel Kraft, hitman, convicted murderer, over 30 yes. killings. Yes. Mm-hmm. And they have him in a sort of off-white smock mm-hmm. against a blank wall. So we listen to him for quite a lot. You know, he comes back uh, all the way through the documentary. Um, he's very clear in his thoughts. Um, he it's not that he's got his story straight, it's that his story is straight. Mm-hmm. And then right at the end, he takes off the smock, puts on his clothes, and walks out his own front door. And I thought, yes, it's a little trickery, but it's also so demonstrative of the complete imbalance in the charging and convicting of, you know, even just those two men, let alone uh, Johnny Curry, who mm-hmm. who obviously had the most marvellous time being an, an, an actual drug kingpin. Yeah. It, it reminded me of the bling ring, like, you know, at the at the end of the bling ring, when we find out all of the the backgrounds were all like CGI, like I don't mind a little bit of trickery as long as it makes sense and it kind of um, moves the point forward. I think that was a, a marvelous little trick to kind of make us think that Nathaniel, who was a hitman who admitted in open court to killing 30 people, was still in jail when he really isn't. Ron, your your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I was going to say the the other like I thought that was it was the one reporter that did say that that talked about him being a kingpin. Oh, he did mm-hmm. point out that he was relying on information that he was fed from the police and say that mm-hmm. the, uh, the cops were the ones that told us. So we did uh, validate the information. And I remember thinking, like, mm-hmm. I don't really think y'all validated that information as well as you did. You just the cops gave you information and you reported it based on what the cops told you. And I think mm-hmm. like there were, probably would have been a different way that they handle that information like today based on journalistic standards and integrity because of situations like this where you're just writing out a criminal organization with no verification of of, uh, what that organization actually is. But I was going to say the one other thing that I think this documentary could have done that it didn't do was in examining the laws that put people in prison for life. I think what would have been a great comparison is for them to discuss the ways in which this law impacted folks that weren't Rick and weren't white. Uh, Mm, Because uh if there's one Rick, then there are 40 black men for every Rick that this Uh law uh, impacted. And I felt like there was a part of this that made me wonder, like even towards the end, are we even watching this documentary about this happening to this guy because he is white, because he was 17, because it was a sexy story that the media ran with. And a lot of ways he's still enjoying a privilege that there are probably people who are still locked up for even longer than Rick. Uh, because of laws like this that change because they start they the, these laws come and people are convicted like three strikes whatever they're convicted and then these laws get repealed and the people that are in prison are like yo what what's going on it reminds me of kind of the way that we treat marijuana where mm-hmm. if we did a whole documentary about one person who went to jail on the trump the marijuana charge and then take them to Colorado where everyone's selling weed now. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I, mean? I feel like I'd also want to hear at least a story to say like, hey, also this law kind of expands beyond this. And and that's not really a fault of the documentary. I just right. think in terms of like what takes something like this from good to great is expanding it and making a commentary on laws like this, which I think it it kind of glosses over a little bit. I agree, Ron. Like watching this documentary as a black person like and not only that but you know i'm gonna share a little bit but my family is from detroit like my mom's side of the family is from detroit so a lot of this i was like yeah (laughs) you know what i'm saying like i I understand this my one of my uncles went to jail under the three strikes rule he spent 25 plus years in jail because of a a three strikes rule. He was able to eventually get out uh, a, a maybe a decade ago now at this point, but he 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 did he was able to get out, you know. But I I I have I directly know people who have been impacted by these these arbitrary laws that are 
that are normally wielded against people of color way more than the white boy ricks of the world. So it was kind of conflicting watching it. But I thought it was kind of interesting because race does play a part in this because white boy Rick in what, from what we're understanding from talking to the actual drug dealers like Johnny Curry, who he was directly working with, you know, Nathaniel white boy, Rick really wasn't a move, a real mover or a shaker, but because he was a white boy, a young white boy in this drug game that is not like there are not many white people in these drug gangs the legend and the of it all blew it up it's almost like like i hate to say it but like white mediocrity like like actually like was a weaponized against him in a sense because it's like the one time you find that white person who is doing something exceptionally exceptionally well air quotes that is normally reserved to like what black people do we blow up their legend to the point where it's like oh my god they are so amazing and it happened to him just for drugs <laughs> and the the media and the police were so quick to want to be like he's a kingpin meanwhile what he's actually doing does not fit the moniker of what they are trying to say that he was doing or they're trying to blow up this mythos of him doing so it was very it was a very interesting watch from a, like a racial justice point of view that I thought, like Ron said, it makes you think of so many other things. And I, I do wish they delve into, into it, but I'm, I'm okay that they did it because I thought it, it did make me think, you know, so maybe hopefully the people who are, who are watching, um, it made them think too, but, but I agree, Ron, I don't know if we're getting this story if it's not because a, a, a white boy or white man were, was, you know, unlawfully like uh, serving a very long sentence. Like even there was, there was a judge um, there, uh, Dana, Dana Hathaway, who was great, by the way, who was talking about how she felt like it was unconstitutional for how long he was he was in jail. Sarah, what, did, what do you think? Am I is that am I am I making sense here? Yes, yes, completely. I, I love uh, the Honourable Dana Hathaway with her glorious long blonde hair <laughs> saying the war on drugs is over and yep. drugs won. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Correct. Uh, <laughs> and she uh, wanted to resentence uh, Rick and recommended that it happen and the original judge said, uh, no, not only that, I'm going to give him more than the prosecution is is asking for. So I think that in its brevity and its economy, the documentary glances at a few things, one of which is if you apply for a relief in front of the same judge that sentenced you in the first place, how are you going to get it? Because their reputation and their uh, re-election prospects are based on all my judgments are correct. It's like a prosecutor. I did not prosecute incorrectly. So -hmm. there's a glance at that. There's a glance at the reporters. So Joe Swigert, who just believed and regurgitated what he was given, Mm -hmm. has a car on as reporter, whereas Chris Hansen, who has been fighting on Rick's behalf almost since the beginning. We see him as a very young reporter. His Chiron is investigative journalist. So Mm -hmm. I think that there are ways that the documentary gives you quick glances, which are good. I think the quick glance that doesn't work is what you're saying. I think the director trusts us to say, and if this is happening to Rick, were she, what about all the black men in jail that we're not looking at? But it's not explicit. So that's mm-hmm. a very long way around to say, yes, I agree with you. I think it's implied, but I feel that the documentary would be stronger if it was explicit rather than implicit. Mm-hmm. Having said that, I think that the documentary's main focus is on powerful people, not just men, but mostly men not just white, but mostly white, (laughs) using the law and policing to cover up their own corruption and their own evil, Mm -hmm. basically. And so I think the clearest narrative amongst all the sort of threads that do all come together in in the documentary for me 
is looking at how one small boy, basically, or small person, is helpless in this net of corruption. Uh, so if you don't want your actions looked at and you're powerful enough, you give your word to your buddy, your squash partner or your mm-hmm. club person or your, you went to university with them or whatever it might be, who's also in a powerful position, and you are able to suppress truth and suppress justice. Having said that, I do agree. I think the the racial aspect of this is there. I could have had it explored uh, more explicitly. I think Rick ended up being the Macklemore of drug dealing. Because <laughs> I was thinking about there it is. <laughs> And I, I was thinking about it for those who don't know, like I was like, I'm sitting there thinking, I was like, well, is Rick like the Eminem of drug deal, drug dealing? And the more you watch the, the uh, documentary, you're like, no, he's not because Eminem is a great rapper. Yes. Mm -hmm. Eminem got more attention because he was white and he was a lot more marketable because he was white. Like, but he was also a really good rapper. Like most rappers would agree that Eminem is a good rapper. Mm -hmm. Macklemore <laughs> is not a good rapper. Like Macklemore <laughs> is a rapper, to be clear. He is a rapper. He's probably middle of the road, like many of middle of the road uh, rappers. But I just looked this up. I think it was the 2013 or 2014 Grammys. Grammys, uh, yeah. Yeah, he beat arguably one of the greatest rappers of our yep. generation. It was 2014 Grammys uh, in okay. Kendrick Lamar, who put out one of the greatest rap albums I've heard, which was Good Kid, Mad City. And he beat it with a thrift shop. I think it was called The Heist was the name of his album. Now, the reason why I'm saying all this is because there's something to be said about white boy Rick doing some drug dealing. He did some drug dealing. (laughs) Yeah, he did some drug dealing. He bought some drugs and he was going to sell some drugs. And Mm -hmm. that's and more power to him for doing that in this market or whatever. Just like Mm -hmm. more power to Macklemore for putting out an album. But all of his contemporaries around him says we didn't even think about Rick. He wasn't even, he didn't even have a gang. He didn't even right. have a section of the city. He was a middleman, you know what I mean? Like in a lot of ways. <laughs> and all of them were repeating this like, Rick, you serious? Rick, that guy, Rick, really? <laughs> and they're all saying that even though they're appreciating him, yeah, he's one of us, whatever, but he's not. And I feel like there was a lot of, there was a lot of that type of discussion with Mac Labor beats out Kendrick Lamar where everyone's saying, what are you talking about? This is mm. barely a rap album. He's not even rapping <laughs> on beat. Like yeah. he's, he's only a rapper by name. Like he called himself that. And there's something to be said about like, it is, it does come into race because like Mac Lamar was a much more intriguing story. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like this clean cut white dude doing rap music is just a much more intriguing story. Uh, uh, as opposed to someone like Eminem, who was raised in Detroit, ironically, <laughs> yeah. who was raised in Detroit, but who was like in there with in poor it. folks, with poor black folks being mm-hmm. raised and all that. So it, there was something to be said about watching this guy get all this no- notoriety. And in this case, Rick didn't even want it. It wasn't even like Rick, <laughs> Rick in, like enjoyed the lifestyle and the money and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But he was like, I didn't want to be. A, I, I don't. There's no need for me to be a kingpin. I just want to make some money and get out of poverty and all that. Like most other regular drug dealers but i imagine if it's not white boy rick like there's probably some regular uh black person drug dealer out there that was that probably has an equivalent story in detroit that's like i also too was not (laughs) and nobody's talking about me either like nobody's talking about like about marcus you know what i mean yeah nobody's talking about him at all you know i like how i like how donnie curry was like white boy rick was making like half a million a week maybe two million a month and then we get the the black letters where it was like Johnny Curry was making about two hundred million dollars. <laughs> like, yeah, yes, <laughs> yes, something like I, I, that. I, so running running the the uh, the drug business like the military, according to the according mm-hmm. to the media, and the dividing up of territory and the it's quite intricate, uh, you know, organizational charts of who was who. Yeah. And yeah. Rick was just floating about with his little bag of cocaine selling. Exactly. Cocaine. So, I mean, Grabbing the thing is, here, he did deal. Yeah, he did deal drugs. So, yes, mm-hmm. once he's arrested by police uh, and charged, he, he did do it. It's the conviction, but also just winding it back. It's also the arrest. What oh, yeah. danger did he pose to powerful people uh, particularly the Mayor Coleman Young and uh, Gil Hill. Listeners may know him from the Beverly Hills Cop 
movies. Yeah. So he was not only the head of homicide, he was in in the movies as well. So there was a glamour there. Yeah, it, it's it's curious to think about is it more exciting or salacious for the public to open a newspaper or front page of a newspaper and see not only a white boy but a white boy who's called white boy? Is it somehow 17. more vibrationally thrilling to think of that 17-year-old uh, going to jail and not the 15-year-old who, you know, as we know, uh, it, it might be lucky to get to jail and not in these days uh, um, be made unalive by police. Mm. I wonder mm. if that story sells is slightly the wrong word, but it's also the word. I wonder if that story sells. Yeah. I mean, it does. I think the only comparison yeah. I could keep making is to rap again, mm-hmm. because it's like if you think about every every mediocre white rapper that came mm-hmm. after Eminem that got a headline, you know, what I mean, mm-hmm. like every single one, like even the Beastie Boys in the beginning and people consider them to be the godfathers of rap, which uh, and, and, you know, don't don't at me or write me on this. Yeah, it's true. They are. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? But also Pioneers. they're they're just they're fine rappers. You know, mm-hmm. what I mean? yeah. they're, not, they're, they're fine. Yeah. Uh, they're but fun. there's there's a lot of fine rappers out there that don't get this type of of credibility. And I think it's the same thing with with drug dealers where you're right. It's it's just a salacious story looks good even when i saw the previews of white boy rick or even when i started this documentary i did not realize that the whole thing is he's not a kingpin (laughs) you know what i mean like when i opened it when i started watching i'm like oh you're about to tell me the story about how this 17 year old white dude apparently became a kingpin that is that's i'm ready i'm i sat down to watch it Mari, I picked this documentary because I thought that's what the story was. Imagine my shock to find out not only is that not the story, the whole story is that that's not the story. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm like, yes, it's it's certainly more salacious for me to open a newspaper and see 17-year-old Rick on the cover being like white boy Rick out here slanging cocaine. (laughs) It's kind of funny because as they go through everything that's happening, that's kind of not even the most crazy thing in this documentary. No, not at all. Yeah. Between the mayor, you know, who has a niece. Who has a niece. Who's (laughs) who's married married to Johnny Curry. Who's who's having an affair with white boy Rick. Exactly. Who who is married to a king king, (laughs) who has a police escort while she helps deal drugs. The police are, are like, protecting her while also watching her help her husband run this empire like it's so fascinating all of the other stuff that it's like we didn't even have to invent him being a kingpin his dad being a small arms dealer in detroit that part you know like all and of FBI this. informant himself. Exactly. And, yeah. and his dad being the FBI informant that led to him being an informant. And and sadly, the whole the FBI kind of forcing him to be an informant at 14 for a few years to the point where, like, they kind of tell him to leave school to 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 help them. It leads to him getting shot and almost dying, you know, Um for him to stay undercover just for them to like Sarah said just drop him and be like okay we got what we needed from you also this probably wasn't very kosher oops our bad but mm-hmm. now he's already been doing it for two years he's already addicted to the lifestyle he's he's out of school so what is he else is he going to do but continue to drug deal it's just no longer he has the protection of the FBI and unfortunately he just steps on a lot of toes uh, when it comes to the mayor and the 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 head of homicide and and it it just you know it doesn't end well for him because he ends up incarcerated so i thought this story itself was really good so the subject matter was really good hello it is ryan and i was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com i looked over at the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing they were also playing chumba casino 
Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Let's talk a little bit about the production. I, I really like that the production, like Sarah had mentioned, broke it down into like chapters. And not only did they they break the documentary down into chapters, they they kind of had this running through line of like a comic book story. Because again, it's almost so unrealistic that it's like this this ha- this is almost made up. And it's like it's the the animations of the comic books and the the different chapters and then um there was one part where it was like oh rick was that animated comic version of rick hanging out the window in the car and it said meanwhile and it cuts to nathaniel who's like oh yeah i was trying to shoot him up like it was really it was really interesting really funny i thought the production was so good they kept with the timeline like we weren't there weren't twists or anything it was like it was very by the books by the numbers the talking heads were good what did we think of the production aspect sarah yes i very much liked the comic book style of the chapter headings and and some of the action that we hear about mm-hmm. uh little baby Rick in a fur coat matching fur coat with big johnny mm-hmm. curry the kingpin it's fantastic and again, you think, oh, is that just stylistic? But like the visual trick of the Nathaniel Craft, the hitman, not being in jail when we thought he was, the use of that sort of comic book really works with the narrative of who he was made out to be and who mm-hmm. he really was. So the first chapter is the legend, like Ron, exactly, I came to this documentary to read about this young white boy who was this huge kingpin. And then chapter two, the truth. And you go, oh. <laughs> and I think the shifts in in uh, the shifts in where we're going to next, yes, the timeline was pretty straightforward, but each chapter shifted to it's like turning a prism around. We're just going to look at it from another side. Mm-hmm. And it was such a good visual marker of, right, okay, you got that? Right, we're on to the next thing. And then that fitting in with the idea of the media via the police or the, the police via the media uh, making him out to be more than he was. Ron, what did you think of the production? Uh, I think it was an efficiently told story. Um, I think putting it into chapters automatically, I think it's a very natural way to go from one act to another. Um, You know, the comic book, uh, the comic book portions, I think were a good way to make up for footage that you don't have. Um, And I think there's other ways people do that by just like putting still pictures up there and putting a voice underneath, which I find pretty boring. Yeah. Or, and there was one (laughs) reenactment in this, Mm -hmm. uh, which like, and, and actually you're, I kind of wish it had been a comic book uh, at that Mm -hmm. point, because I remember watching the reenactment and be like, this is all right, whatever. That's fine. Um, so I think it was, I think for me, the the biggest draw is that it's an efficiently told story. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, I, that's why I think like at an hour and 27 minutes, you could have spent a little bit more time like like kind of zooming out a little mm. and saying like this is the bigger, the larger a portion of the story. I will say, too, that it seemed uh, heavily told by men. Uh, in this, mm. in this, like there was a lot of dudes, like I'm yeah. about the women that were in it. It was like his mother, his sister, and um, and the, the judge. judge. Uh-huh. And then outside of that, I'm like, I I can't really think of the other women that were in it. Um, uh-huh. lots of lots of men telling the story, which isn't really a bad thing. I just something that I noticed. Uh, and a, a lot of white dudes say mm-hmm. <laughs> say justice for Rick, and I'm like, all right, but like justice for others too, right? Like there's a part mm-hmm. of me that's like like yeah. looking closely at them saying like, but you're going to keep saying justice, like justice yes. for all, right? Yes. Yeah. None free until we're all free, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like that's, uh, that's there was a point right? <laughs> almost at the end where it's like, and here's Alan 
Dershowitz. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The placement of time. him and the timing of like right at the end, here he comes. And I thought, oh, you're saying something with this. Very cool. Oh, yeah. Well, no, that's it. I mean, the bottom line is that it's like officially, it's very efficient storytelling. And I really wouldn't add much to the construction of this documentary. I think they did a, did a good job. Like I said, I would add a few more. And I think this documentary for me suffers a little bit from not having Rick physically in it at all. And I think that's just like a deadline thing because Rick is now out of prison. So I would have loved to have seen a version of this doc where we get to see Rick sit down at the camera and and say at least a couple of things now that he's out Um, or the cameras be there when he gets out of prison, filming his uh, reunion with his kids or with his uh, grandkids at this point. I would have loved to have seen that. But again, that's just like a deadline issue of when they get the, you don't know when uh, Rick is going to be released, but we still got to put out our documentary. But other than that, like very efficient storytelling, well done. Yeah, and they they did a good job for because you forget that they don't have him sitting there because they effectively yeah. use like uh, audio recordings from him inside the prison. They use yep. the, all of Chris Hansen's interviews with him, so it does kind of feel like you are getting his side of of the story in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just from, you know, when he was early, his early incarceration, we don't have his side from like how he feels now. Uh, but I also loved, I, th- I thought the talking heads were all very good as well. I think they all actually added to the story. I loved having Johnny Curry and Nathaniel there most, yeah. most, most of all, because they know it, they're in it. They're with the, you know, they're with the shit, you know, <laughs> and <Yeah. laughs> it was, it was actually refreshing to have people who were, who were there that, was actually involved and like Sarah said there's no double jeopardy so they could say everything they wanted to say that was pretty cool having the two FBI people there was very interesting I thought Um, they were kind of our voices of law enforcement since the Detroit police didn't really cooperate they did have this this one uh, former sergeant William Rice from uh, the Detroit PD Uh, (laughs) I mean which is he was homicide again. White boy Rick did not commit any homicides, as far as we know. Um, so that was kind of weird. But the Detroit PD really can't go on record in this type of documentary because technically, this documentary is basically saying Detroit PD are the reasons why he's, he's still in there and he stayed in there for so long because of the corruption and him helping them like clean up the corruption. So I, I just, I just thought this was, um, very, very well done. Yeah, Scott Bernstein, one of the reporters that we talked to, very, very animated, very, very passionate. Uh, he made a statement that was sort of just left hanging, but I think it it sort of feeds into some of the things that we've been saying. He said that Detroit PD thought white boy Rick was a race traitor. It's been a while mm. since I've heard that phrase. Uh, and that just kind of dangles in the air. <laughs> Okay, all right, Scott. Thank you. Talk about things white people made up. <laughs> yeah. I was wow. I was with you until this statement, but we just fold over it. And I think that's one of the, look, to me that's also one of the the the, the very good things about this uh, documentary is that the documentary filmmaker just lets these people say things. Mm-hmm. And whereas in other documentaries we have one person making a statement and then we have another person making a contradictory statement or saying, oh, that person's full of S or Mm -hmm. whatever it might be, here it's just like these layers of people speaking. And so much so that when we get to Johnny Curry, who's who's current is Detroit drug lord and Nathaniel Kraft, a hitman, when we get to them we go, oh, now I'm going to get the truth. Now I'm going to get some straight talk. Now I'm mm-hmm. going to find out what actually was going on. And I think that hands-off uh, um, that hands-off style works for the most part really well. And what we're asking for is we wanted a little more hands-on on a, on a few more of the topics. But I, I don't think you can have it both ways. Well, I think, I, I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily, I just think they could have added more because I think if there's, yeah, because I think it does work in terms of like letting folks just talk about about it. But it just to me, it's just like there's probably two or three more voices that probably would have pontificated on the fact that, like, why are we talking about Rick? 
You know what I mean? Like there's a hundred ricks in jail right now that aren't going to get their own documentary. And I think that's probably one thing that, and I don't, and I don't know if someone said that and they decided to cut it. Like, we don't, Mm. we don't know if like it was, they're just like, well, that's not the direction we're going with this, this, Mm -hmm. with this documentary. It could be an artistic choice, which is, and that's perfectly fine for them to make. But again, for me, it's just only the difference between this documentary being very good and this documentary being great. Uh, It it kind of makes me think about with OJ Simpson uh, made in America, you know, Mm -hmm. that's a five part documentary. And at one point for 30 minutes, they're just talking about plight and blight in L.A., just Mm -hmm. talking about what's going on in L.A. So much so that in the 31th minute, when they come back to start talking about OJ, I have to snap to it like, oh, that's right. This is an OJ documentary. But I feel like that's what like documentary Mm -hmm. is able to do is not just tell you a story, but tell you tell you the context of that story. And I think the only real context we got was that Detroit was corrupt. There's probably more to say Mm -hmm. and more of a connection to say here, like about like the missing and murdered uh, children in Atlanta and how like what that means for a city that's like majority black that has a black mayor. What -hmm. does that mean in terms of like dealing with law enforcement? How do we deal with the FBI? Like, are there any like larger things at work there? And Again, I'm putting this on this documentary at this point, mm-hmm. but it's only the difference to say good to great. Like a good documentary does what this does. It officially tells you a story and leaves you with a perspective uh, at the end. And I think it did fine. Uh, with yeah, that. because we liked it so much and we think it's so good. We want it to be better. I mean, yeah. another documentary would finish with, you know, even a montage of young black men with their sentences. So just yeah. go, and here are the just. <laughs> 25 or 50 of the ones that yeah. we could think of off the top of our heads. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I think uh, the judge also, I think she, she, she talked a little bit about the unfairness of the law, but definitely they could have let her maybe go a little bit longer and see if she did care past just Rick himself. Um, Cause for, you know, for somebody who is a judge, I, I did feel like I, I felt like she was, pretty impartial or or seemed pretty fair and she said she even said i i know i probably shouldn't admit this but i am a human and i do take my experiences to the bench i thought that was very kind of interesting you know we don't know her politics or anything else that she she um thinks about but i thought it was very interesting that she was trying to um help get rick out of jail uh, here and that she was the one who called his sentence unconstitutional which are powerful um, words. Yeah, right. So exactly. Like, yeah. So some updates to the crime. In July 2020, Rick was released from custody in Florida, having completed his sentence with credits for good behavior. In July 2021, he sued the FBI, saying in the lawsuit that had I not been an informant for, for the task force, I would never have gotten involved with drug gangs or criminality of any sort. And that the FBI's actions amounted to child abuse. So very, very interesting there. White Boy Rick, a 2018 feature film directed by Yann Demange with Matthew McConaughey and others, uh, was produced. It has a solid 51% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, I was looking for it to watch it. It was not available on streaming free for me. Uh, Ron, you said you've seen it. Uh, I saw the preview and that's all I needed to see. So there you go. <laughs> it was one of those previews where I was in the movie theater a lot for some reason and I kept seeing it. And there's oh. this one one uh, monologue that he gives towards the end of the preview. And he's just like the way he's yelling. I'm like, you are not good at acting and I do not care about this story. <laughs> <laughs> and then later on again, later on when I heard that line again, I'm like, oh, maybe I do care about this story, but I don't care about the dramatization of the story. <laughs> yeah, we, we are we we talk about uh, we are very on the fence, uh, I guess, behind the scenes about dramatizations of true crime. Like eh. Sarah doesn't mind them. I do not like them. <laughs> I mean, if the doc is too good, I don't know why dramatizations have to exactly. exist. Exactly. Like if you if you gave me the doc and we believed the doc, why am I watching the Carol Baskin and Joe, Joe, whatever? Exactly. Uh, yes. Like, why am I watching that the as show. a dramatization? I was like, we why just watched I- it on Netflix. The real story was crazy. <laughs> yeah. why, why am I why? watching the staircase when yeah. the documentary is incredible? Like, why, exactly. why, why did y'all do that to us? We got, we get mm-hmm. it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. But then again, 
candy exists, which is brilliant. So, you know. Yeah. Mm. I think it depends. Like the social network is also good. Um, there's no documentary for that, but I really like I really liked that movie. <laughs> yes. I, I actually like um capturing the killer nurse. Uh, I, I actually like the the feature film featuring Eddie Redmayne and Jessica Chastain better than the documentary. And we we mm. we did both. We covered both on here. Ron, how many magnifying glasses are you going to rate White Boy out of a possible five? Uh, I'd give it 3.5. Uh, mm-hmm. I think um, for me, three means I would watch it again and I would certainly watch this again. Mm-hmm. Uh, four means I loved it. Uh, and this one, I, I liked it a lot. I think it was missing a few things that would make it even better. Um, possibly it, there's a there's a five star documentary in here somewhere a five sorry mm-hmm. a five magnifying glass documentary in here somewhere but they did a, a very good job of executing it so i give it 3.5 magnifying glasses good job uh sarah how many magnifying glasses are you going to rate white boy out of a possible five well i liked this a lot i've, I've said why the economy of the storytelling i liked the length was very good I probably came in thinking, because I don't always do my ratings ahead of time. In fact, I never do my ratings ahead of time. So I probably came in thinking around a four, but I think through our discussion and what is missing, which I completely agree with, I'm going to say 3.5 as well. 3.5 for me is a good rating and it's a recommendation. Yes, watch the property. Uh, What about you, Mari? Um, I'm definitely going to give it a four. I really actually enjoyed it. Maybe it's because, again, we've just been watching three part docuseries that don't give us nearly enough information about what's happening. Shockers. (laughs) Yeah, that this was so refreshing to me. And just the just the flow of it, the production of it, not knowing how it was going to end. Um, I really liked it. I really liked it. And I, and I'm, and I was so glad that we ended up, we ended up watching it and it's, it's easy to watch on Netflix and stuff. So I'm definitely going to give it a four. Sarah, do you have any recommendations for our listeners? Yes, I do. I have something that was uh, definitely on my list. And then Brittany Roberts suggested it to me. And thank you for that suggestion because I hopped on it uh, immediately a documentary from 2022 called The Volcano, Rescue from Fakari. It was directed by Oscar-nominated Rory Kennedy, and she also directed Downfall, The Case Against Boeing in 2022. So she has had a busy time making documentaries that we very much like. It tells the story of the eruption of Fakari, also called White Island. The white people call it White Island. So Fakari is a volcano just off the coast of Fakatani there in the Bay of Plenty in New Zealand, a very beautiful region. And tourists like to go on boats or helicopters and walk up to the crater and have a look at it. And it tells the story of the eruption of the volcano while there were tourists on it. And it's extremely well made. The access to the talking heads, very judiciously selected people, all of whom talking very clearly and honestly about their experience. It's very tense. It's quite a traumatic watch. Like there's nothing particularly ghastly to look at, but the apprehended uh, terror and and trauma is is quite strong. It doesn't really drive in hard enough on who, if anyone, is responsible for tourists being on an active volcano at a, they call it a stage two uh, situation. Stage one, nothing's going on. Stage three is an eruption. There is a comment that stage two covers quite a broad uh, range of activity. So Fakare is still closed to visitors uh, and I really appreciated talking to a Maori elder who tells us about the importance of the island and nature in the culture. So I would give the volcano four stars and Brittany tells us it is so good and she's absolutely correct. You can watch that on Netflix. And what about you, Mari? I am going to recommend Rap Trap. 
Hip Hop on Trial. It is a Hulu documentary. It's uh, just a little bit over an hour. And it talks a little bit about the criminal case against Young Thug and Gunna, who are currently right now two of the biggest names in hip hop and how uh, their lyrics might be used against them in court. Uh, it tries to pull the audience in with that, but it's actually about a different case where a lesser known rapper actually went to jail um, back in the late 90s, early 2000s, where his lyrics were used against him and he um, for a crime he didn't commit. So he was actually in jail for a little over a decade, I want to say for a crime he didn't commit where they used his own lyrics against him. So it's actually a very interesting little short documentary. They try to make you think that it's going to be about the current case, but it's really about another case. And and that can be kind of deceptive, but I felt like I I did like the overall subject matter of uh, does this violate one's free speech using lyrics uh, against uh, rappers who you know that's their job so very interesting you can check that out and we'll put it in our show notes at crime scene we are eager to hear your feedback and suggestions for future episodes you can follow crime scene on twitter at crime scene rhap that's at crime s-e-e-n-r-h-a-p or you can email us at crime scene rhap at gmail.com we're on tiktok at crime.scene on Instagram and Facebook at Crime Scene Podcast. Ron, what do you what do you have going on and where can the people find you? You can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Oh It's Big Ron. That's at O-H-I-T-S-B-I-G-R-O-N. You can listen to my podcast, Leaving the Theater, available everywhere you listen to podcasts. And currently I'm working on a new project that is going to be officially announced very soon, but I'm putting up the mm. RSS feed suit. It's called Wait For It, W-E-I-G-H-T. And it is a narrative podcast about the ways in which we are constantly thinking about our weight. I'm very excited about that. That comes out in June. So yeah, that's what I'm working on right now. That's how you can find me. Reach out. I'm a friendly guy. I love to talk to folks. Awesome. Uh, Sarah, what do you have have going on and where can people find you? Uh, people can follow me on Twitter at Sarah Carradine if they would like to do that. Over on Silent Podcasts, I'm talking all things Taskmaster Australia with Ninja Warrior Sean Bryan and our guests. The finale has dropped and our podcast on that should be out around about the same time as this. Australian Survivor Heroes versus Villains is in the books, but I know that a lot of our US viewers are just now clicking onto it, finding it and enjoying it. So if you want to read my articles and recaps on Australian Survivor Heroes versus Villains, you will find them over there on Inside Survivor. And Murray, what about you? You can find me on Twitter at Mari Talks Too Much. That's two, like the number two. You can also find me on twitch.tv slash Mari Talks Too Much. Uh, I've been doing some like streaming, like experimenting with midday streams over there. So just follow me so you can get notified for when I go live. Sarah, what are we covering next time on Crime Scene? Next time on Crime Scene, we're covering American Manhunt, the Boston Marathon bombing with Mary Kwiatkowski. Watch it on Netflix and send us your comments and questions. Thanks to Ronald Young Jr. for joining us. Will from America for the theme music, Tricky Rice for the graphics, and Chelsea Lesser and Scott St. Pierre behind the scenes. Until next time, case, case closed. closed. Case closed. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. Judy. 
Chumba. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply